Good morning again, if you came in late. So um, if you're new to Edgewater, thank you. We're glad you're here. Uh, we have a message today that is on giving. I know you're stoked about that. You're like wanting to cheer and jump up and down, um, but not a sexy message. However, we're teaching through the book of Philippians, and that's where we're at. And if you read the Bible, and I hope you do, there's about 500 verses on prayer, and there's about 500 verses on faith, and there are over 2,000 verses on money and giving and generosity. Because money matters. Do you know that? Like what you do and how you treat money really matters. That, that it has a power to it. It's almost godlike power. So Jesus, when he's talking about money, it's Matthew 6, 24. He says this, you cannot serve God and mammon, but it's really money. You can't serve God and money. He doesn't say, hey, you can't serve God in sex or God in your reputation or God in your athletic ability or God in your husband or God in your wife. He says you can't serve God in money because those things fade, but money doesn't, Right? The beavers aren't coming after me to be a linebacker, and I've still got four years of eligibility left. <laughs> it fades. All those things fade, but man, money just never seems to lose its allure. Whether you're young or you're old, it has a power to it. Myron, he's my nine-year-old, he's already asking for the credit card. Dad, I saw this. I need to buy it. What's your credit card? Right? It has that. And here's the thing about money. It's... it's today, taking the place of a lot of things that people would have prayed for 2,000 years ago. We can pay for things now. Health, you can just pay for it. What they used to pray over, like, good food, is this food going to kill me or not? Just, we take it for granted that our food is good. Like, you used to pray before your meal. Why? Because it might be poison. I don't know. There might be a bacteria or something in it. We just die after we eat this. Now, our food comes out on pallets, and we don't even think about it. So, it has this, like, it has taken the place really of prayer in a lot of people's lives. Like, I can just pay for it. I don't need to pray for that. So money is really, really important. And believers make mistakes with money all the time. So have you heard this? Money is the root of all evil. Have you heard that? Is that true? No. It's the love of money, right? So then we make these like broad statements about money. It's bad. No, it's not. Money's neutral. It's like nuclear radiation. Is nuclear radiation good or bad? Yes. Like they target cancer now with radiation that's amazing. And it doesn't do the blast of chemo anymore because it's targeted at that one spot. If you've ever broken a leg, I'm really glad for x-rays because it can tell you a lot about that break and how to fix it right. If you've been in any kind of industrial building, the smoke detectors there are made with a little bit of nuclear radiation and they're much better than any other kind. So we don't have like 1906 clothing factory fires that kill 200 people. Like, ah, oh, that's good. That's like money. Now, can radiation be bad for you? Oh yeah, it can kill you. That's money. It's neutral. It should come with a warning though. I think money should have a warning on it that says handle with care handle with care. So Jesus says this about money. He says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle 
How does a camel go through the eye of a needle? How do you do that? With a blender. That's the only way, right? It's impossible. So Jesus is making a, he's making a, he's going big on this. Like, listen carefully. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. That's the handle with care. I'm not dogging on rich people. It's not, hey, if you're a rich person, you must not be a good Christian. The one person who drove a Porsche this morning is like, I do love Jesus. I just love fast cars too. Hey, you can. It's not a problem, right? It's, this is not what it's about. It's the point of all this is your happiness and money are tied together. They really are. Does anyone here know of a miserable millionaire? There's lots of them. And what they found is people that are very wealthy or very famous, or they've reached those levels in life, they are six times more likely to commit suicide than the regular people like us. Do you know why? They've sucked the marrow out of life. They've got to the top of every, they've checked off every bucket list they could ever do, and it wasn't enough. And despair sets in. Well, for you and I, we still got the whole bucket list. Like, if I could only do that, I'd be happy. They've done it all, and it didn't make them happy, and so they're miserable. So we got to be careful with money, handle with care. It, 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 you got to look out for it. So maybe you saw this study. It came out a short while ago. It was by Oxford and Yale. Those are pretty prestigious places, right? Not RCC, Oxford and Yale. And the title of the article was this. Um, Exercise will probably make you happier than wealth. So you go for a run and I'll hold your wallet. How about that? We got to be careful, right? It's neutral, but be careful with it. So Philippians ends with money because the book is, I think it's a manual on how to be happy. And how you handle money will determine a good deal of happiness. So let's jump in. Brilliant conclusion to an amazing book. Philippians chapter four, verse 10. The goal with money is simple. The goal is contentedness. So when it comes to money, not rich, not poor, the goal is contentedness. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The goal with money is contentedness. Contentedness is your best financial advisor. Hard period. Nothing's going to help you more. So here's the context. Paul is in prison in Rome. 2,000 years ago, there was no Geneva Convention. There was no basic human rights. You went to prison. You didn't get a TV. You didn't have air conditioning. You didn't get a court-appointed lawyer. You didn't even get a bed, and you didn't get food. That if you didn't have people that were going to feed you, then in about two weeks, you'd be dead. 
That's what prison would be. It'd be a death sentence for you. Paul is in prison, no food. This is amazing to me. You've got Paul, the superstar of the New Testament, author of at least 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament, missionary to the known world, a man who healed the sick, raised the dead. His sweat rags would be taken from him and they would be put on people and they'd be healed from it. He is the superstar of the New Testament. And now guess what? He can't feed himself and he needs other people. Life brought him to circumstances where he had to rely on other people. I don't care if you are the Elon Musk of Josephine County. There will be a time when life brings you to the point that you require help from somebody else. It'll happen to us all. Good thing Paul had invested in people because there's this little church called Philippi that he had gone to and he'd helped. And you guys know the story now at this point, I hope. And they hear about him, but it's 800 miles away. So they, then they're not a rich church. We're told that in the book of 2 Corinthians. They're not wealthy. They sacrifice, they take up a collection, they get it and they send it 800 miles up to Paul so that he could have something to eat. So Paul partially writes this letter to say thanks. But he adds on some context and he adds on this brilliant thing about contentment. Paul says, I've learned to be content. He goes, I've had money. I've had abundance. I've had cash and it was good. Anyone that way? That's good, right? No problem with that. It opens up doors. It gives you opportunities. Paul says, hey man, I enjoyed it when it was abundance. I've had much. And then he goes, and I've also been brought low. Anyone brought low? Right? Yeah, I bought a house in 2022. I'm being brought low right now. It's not worth anything, right? Paul's like, hey, listen, there's problems and benefits with both. Have you ever thought about the first car you owned? I have. I bought as my first car for $150 a 1974 Ford Mustang II, possibly the worst vehicle ever made. If you know them, it was the oil embargo, right? So they went from this beautiful Mach 1 muscle car, like brilliant car, to a Pinto. So I got a Pinto, 150 bucks. It was primer black paint job. The only problem was if you rubbed up against it, you were also primer black. It was that kind of a paint job, right? And because they were trying to tweak and make it more fuel efficient, so they put all this kind of stuff on there to try to eke out a little bit of mileage out of it because gas was so expensive. But what happened is it would vapor lock when I'd be driving down the road. It'd just go like shut off the motor for like two seconds and then backfire. People would be jumping in the ditches. Like it's a good thing before I, it was a time when everyone concealed carry because I would have been shot dead. Like, what is that? Shoot him, right? I got pulled over. I owned it for a year. I think I got pulled over a hundred times by the cops. They're like, this has to be illegal. What is this? right? You know what I was never worried about? That car. I did not park at 75 spaces out at Walmart. I would nose into the narrowest places possible. I didn't worry about it getting keyed. I couldn't see if it got keyed, right? I left the keys in it. Please steal it. Do us all a favor. Take it, right? What I found was no one parked next to me. I'd park and come out. And there'd be like spaces all around. I'm like, great. I can get right out of here. That all changed with my Volkswagen bus. That thing goes out in the South 40. I will hike because I don't want to scratch on it. 
What happened? Money made me worry, right? Paul's like, listen, they both have benefits. The key, the key that Paul is saying is this. The Bible's not about rich or poor, right? It's not like, how could you be so greedy and how could you be so stingy? You need to be more generous. That's not what it's about. How can you be the 1%? That's not the Bible at all. The Bible is real simple. Not about rich or poor. Like Jesus, was he rich or poor? Jesus, is he rich or poor? If you and I could see Jesus's portfolio right now, he'd open it up and he'd just say everything. He owns everything, right? If you pave your driveway with gold, you've got everything, right? So Jesus, rich. Was Jesus poor once? Oh yeah. The Bible says he laid that all aside and was born as a babe in Bethlehem. In a stable, because there's no room for him. Put in a manger, right? With cattle. Grew up and he's so poor when his parents go to make the offering. If you were rich, you would offer a bull. If you were middle class, you'd offer a goat. If you're dirt poor, you'd offer a two cent pigeon. Guess what offering Joseph and Mary make for Jesus? Pigeon, they're dirt poor. Grew up as a homeless rabbi. He knew poor, right? So it's not about rich or poor. That's not at all the Bible. The Bible is about something else. It's about contentedness versus coveting. That's what it's about. It's not Christians, you need to be poor and give all your money away. No, Christians, you need to learn to be content because coveting, I think you can argue, coveting is the original, original sin. What do you mean, Matt? We know about the sin in the garden, right? God says, hey, don't eat of this tree. They do, they get kicked out. We call that the original sin. Well, there was something before that because this snake shows up that's not a good dude at all. What happened to him? How did he become no good? Well, read Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 38, 28, excuse me. And what you see is, especially in Isaiah 14, read it. There's this very high, powerful angel that begins to look at Yahweh and say, I want to be like Yahweh. I covet his position. I want my throne right up next to his throne. He's coveting Yahweh's position. And something happens in the heavenlies before the garden where Lucifer is cast to earth because he coveted God's position. There's some kind of rebellion that happens there. It's why it's in the 10 commandments, right? The big 10, it's don't covet. This thing will kill you. Be careful. And it's insidious, I think, sometimes. Coveting and money, they lie to us. Do you know that? Like our society now is almost built around coveting, is it not? That's what it's really built around. And here's what, like, the, the light went on for me when I was 20 years old. Because I grew up poor, my mom, she never worried about retirement. Like that was never, we didn't talk about retirement. She didn't talk, she didn't save for retirement. She didn't have any money to save for retirement. Single mom working, poor job, four kids. She just didn't talk about it. So it wasn't like this thing we're always talking about, hey, retirement, when are you gonna retire? I go to college, I'm required to take this class. And the class was saving for retirement. I'm like, what? I'm 20. I remember thinking to myself, I will not live the next 50 years worried about retirement. That's not how I'm gonna live my life. I'm not saying don't plan. That's not what I'm saying here. But there is a weird perspective to that. 
where it's all about, hey, you're working hard today. Why? Because you can retire one day. Really? No way. I don't ever plan on retiring. Oh, I'll change what I do, no doubt, but I'm never going to retire. And if I have to be a greeter at Walmart to make ends meet, I got no problem with that, man. I'll be the best greeter ever. High fives, smiley faces for everybody. It'll be brilliant. So there's this weird thing that now has crept in that it's all about, hey, saving up for retirement. Really? And it goes earlier and earlier. Myron, my nine-year-old, is now getting Roth IRAs. And they're like, dude, it's too late. You should have started this when you're five. You better get on it. Look out. I mean, think about it. It's insanity to me. It's insanity. If you followed like the mortality rate right now, it's falling in America. We almost edged up to about 80 and now it's been, we're down to like 76, 75 and a half. And they're like, why? Some of it is no doubt drug overdoses with kids and it's tripled in Oregon in the last two years, which is mind blowing. But it's also old people are dying. You know what they're dying from? They're not dying from not having enough in their Roth IRA or their hedge fund not doing good. They're not dying from that. You know what they're dying from? Being lonely. That's what they're actually dying from. The Blue Zone Project did this massive study and they found loneliness is as dangerous to your health as smoking 20 cigarettes a day. It's Genesis 2, it's not good for man to be alone. The class that should be taught in universities when you're 20 is how to maintain good relationships with people because that's what's gonna carry you through. What carries Paul through here, right here? Relationships with people, people that loved him, right? Like we gotta be careful of this thing. So how in the world do you conquer coveting? Because it's big. It maybe is the original, original sin. It's in the 10 commandments. Paul, the superstar of the New Testament says, it's the one that got me, Romans 7. I could do the other nine. It was that one. That one slew me. How do you defeat it? Well, that'd be an entire message on Sunday. Let me give you just two things to run through your head when you start feeling coveting, wanting what somebody else has build up in your life. Number one is this. Know this. When it comes to coveting, there will always be a sequel. What do you mean? Remember Rocky One? That was the best of the movies, wasn't it? It was the best of them. And if you know Rocky one, there's this scene where Rocky, he walks into the, the place, the big giant place where his picture is up and Apollo Creed's picture is up. And it's the day before the fight. And it's that day that he realizes, I'm not going to beat this guy. And so he goes and talks to Adrian. Adrian, right? So he started having this conversation and, and he lets her know that like, I'm not going to win. And so she's like, well, then, then why are you going to fight him? If you're not going to win, why are you going to fight him? Right? She's trying to plead with him, don't go in there. You're going to get murdered. And this was his answer. He says, because if I can go the distance with Apollo Creed, then I'll know I'm not a bum. If I can just be like Apollo Creed, if I can go 36 minutes with the champ, then I'll know I'm not a bum. Pegged his whole value and his whole worth on someone else and hanging with somebody else. And he does it, right? You know, the movie, he does it. And was that enough for him? No, there is Rocky II and Rocky III and Rocky IV and God forbid Rocky V and now there's the Creed and right, they go on and on and on. That's coveting. We think if I just can do this 36, if I just had 36,000, if I just had 360 million, whatever it is, and there's always a sequel. 
So you always have to tell yourself, listen, this won't do it. Whatever this is, whatever I'm coveting right now, whatever position I think or idea or money, or it's not going to do it. There'll be a sequel. And the number two, you have to know that all that stuff, it's just celery. Celery is the one thing that we eat that it takes more energy to digest it than we get out of it. This thing is just, that's all it is. So Paul says this, I had to learn something. And then we quote this all the time out of context. He says this, verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What's the context? Living richly or living poorly, that's the context. Being in a prison with no food, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What you and I have to do, especially with coveting and say, Jesus, shepherd me on this. Read Psalm 23, how does it begin? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. What's that dealing with? The original, original sin, right? Coveting, that's what it's dealing with. He leads me beside the still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures because if not, I'm gonna keep going, keep striving for something else. Okay, Jesus, I need to trust you. Help me to know when I'm in the green pasture, to lie down, to be still, to stop striving and coveting and just running myself into the ground. Help me know that I've arrived. Jesus, shepherd my soul. That's what you have to pray for. I don't wanna eat celery my whole life. Help me. That's how you do it. The goal with money, Paul says, contentment contentment. And then number two, he says this, money can demonstrate kindness, or I put it this way in my own head, trouble's kryptonite is generosity. Look at this. Verse 14. Yet, even though all this, I just said, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again, not that I seek the gift. Money can demonstrate kindness or troubles, kryptonite is generosity. Has anyone ever been in trouble and had somebody be generous to you and get you out of that trouble because of their generosity? That's what Paul's saying right here. I was starving to death. Thank you. You, sh you shared in my trouble. Thank you. I was thinking about this when Edgewater started. When it started, we were, we were told nine days before that in nine days we were launching Edgewater, which was like, ah, trouble. So then the, the four of us, we got together, myself and Mark and Glenn and Bucky at that time, and we got together and we're like, okay, how do we do this? How do we pay for rent? We got to rent a facility. How do we pay for rent? We didn't come with a bank account. Uh, how do we like print out bulletins? Because that's going to be expensive. How do we buy coffee and a coffee maker, maybe some tea and some sugar and some creamer and some kids toys? And we just, man, the list, we got to thousands just like that, just to try to launch this thing in nine days. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And this guy came in and he said, hey, open up an Edgewater checking account. And I said, well, you know, that would be great to do. But to order a checking account, you have to have money to start it. And we don't have that. And he pulled out a checkbook and he wrote a check for $10,000 and handed it to me. And I went, ah, oh, all my troubles seem so far away. <laughs> 
He shared in my troubles. I will never forget that man. He is the original patron of Edgewater Christian Fellowship, right? His generosity, man, it was kryptonite to my trouble. And Paul says this, very important. I wasn't seeking it. He wasn't sending out support letters to everybody. Hey, by the way, I'm in prison, I'm hungry. Not getting on TV or YouTube or Instagram. Didn't do any of that. I wasn't out there seeking it. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are the texts on New Testament giving. And Paul says this, there's two ways you should not give. Number one, out of grief. Or you're like, good grief, will this guy be quiet? He goes on and on and on and on and on. If he would shut up, I'll give him something, right? Not out of grief. Not out of necessity. The Greek there is repeated arm twisting. Hey, if you would just stop drinking your coffee every morning, you could give us five bucks, like that kind of thing. Paul says, don't do it that way. But the Lord loves a cheerful giver. The Greek is hilarious. It means as you're writing out your check, you're giggling to yourself. Not because it will bounce, but because you've been given the opportunity to help somebody in their trouble. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. Although Edgewater will receive from a grumpy sting. We're okay either way. <laughs> this is it. God's heart for you and me is that as we're out in the community, as we're out with friends or companions or people we know, and we see them in trouble, it troubles us. And if we have the means, then we become generous to help them in their trouble, to share in it. Doesn't mean you take it all away from them. Okay, I'll share in this with you. That's brilliant. And the fruit of it, Paul just says now, here's the fruit of this. Because you guys did this, here's the fruit that's come out of this. Check it out. Verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus, that's the guy that brought the 800 bucks or brought the gift 800 miles, the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Brilliant. Here's the fruit from this generosity. Number one, Paul says it's pleasing to God, verse 18. Your sacrifice, because we know Philippi was not a rich church. It was actually a poor church, but they were a generous, poor church. Your sacrifice of giving is pleasing to God. You know, sacrifices please God. Read Hebrews 13, where it says, you come to church and you offer the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of your lips, giving thanks to God. That's pleasing to God. 
something in that when we, have you ever, have you ever gone to church when you didn't want to? Anyone. You're like, ah, oh, man, okay, okay. And then you go to church and something happens that day. Maybe it's a song that's sung. Maybe it's a prayer that's offered. Maybe it's in communion. You really sense God's presence. Maybe it's in the message, just something you need to hear spoke to your heart. Maybe it's in fellowship afterwards, somebody speaks to you or you're used in some way where you're like, oh, I feel God's pleasure. That's what Paul's saying right here. Man, when you sacrifice, something incredible happens. It's different than normal, right? So a couple months, no, a month ago, not quite a month ago, went to Arizona to go to my daughter Bella's graduation. And we left Friday night, and it happened to me that night, that storm blew through, really big storm. So from pretty much Mount Ashland to Redding, I was doing 35 miles per hour. That's insane, right? Uh, so it took us longer than expected, but we drove straight through, arrived in Phoenix at about three in the afternoon, just straight through. So we're all just kind of beat Saturday. We get to the Airbnb at four, unpack. Uh, everyone, you know, we do our thing, go to sleep. Wake up the next morning, it's Sunday. Man, we just always go to church. But now I've got very, very tired children, right? I'm kind of tired myself. So I'm rallying them. Come on, let's go, let's go. Let's get in church. Let's get there on time, right? So, and it's everything in Phoenix is like 30 minutes away. It's not like Grants Pass where it's 10 minutes. Everything's 30. So I finally get in the car. We go to this church. It's a new church. Every church is different. Have you noticed that? Like there's not a standard like operating procedure on how to do church. So you got to navigate through like, okay, where does Myron go? Where do we go? What's going on here? So we got to navigate all that. Finally, we get into the sanctuary. We're a little bit late. We get these seats that are like, they're not the seats that I would prefer, right? They're just kind of awkward, like off on the side where you're shuffled over there. And that's fine because I'm late. My bad. So we're there. Man, I'll tell you what. I left that church service and I could feel God's pleasure. I can't explain it. I can't put my finger on it. It was something about being with God's people on God's day, that sacrifice. God says, good job, good job. That's what Paul's saying here. Listen, listen, when you make these sacrifices, man, it is pleasing to God. You can feel it. You leave different than you came. Number two, he says it goes to your credit. It goes on your credit report, if you would. Verse 17. I love that. And then he adds verse 19. And we quote this all the time. The context is generosity. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God will not be a debtor to anyone. Do you know that? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He paves his streets with gold. He's not in need of anything from me or from you. But when we offer sacrificially, man, we get paid back, good measure, pressed down. And anyone in here that has done and been a practicer of generosity, you already know this. God pays you back in ways that, man, in your family, with your kids, in life, in abundance, in things that you could never buy. God pays you back because he will not be a debtor to anyone. And then he ends by saying this, greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me. Who are the brothers with, with Paul? Prisoners. Yeah, prisoners that got saved, guards that got saved. 
They greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. What's happening when Paul is in prison? The gospel is going out. People are being saved. Souls are being saved. Jesus gave himself to us. We give because of how good Jesus has been to us. And the gospel goes out and increases and souls get saved. That's the mission that you are on. This is the ultimate fruit of it all, right? It's mission. And this only works when church becomes something that you see like throughout the book of Philippians. Philippians is not, hey, a bunch of customers coming together to get something. Philippians is this place where church is home and the body is the family. That's what Philippians was. Is this home to you or is this a hotel? You kind of check in and check out. Are we family here? Or are we just customers coming to get something? Church changes when this is home and we're family. It changes, right? You see somebody in trouble that's family at your home, what do you do? You help them, right? They're family and this is home. When it's trouble and you're a customer, you like go on Yelp and complain about it. But we don't do that here because this is home and we're a family. God is our father. Jesus is our older brother. The person sitting next to you is your brother and sister in Christ. This is home and this is a family. And when it works like this, it's brilliant and amazing and incredible, right? It's brilliant. And so Philippians opens and closes with the same thing. You're saints. Did you notice that? Like the opening, we talked about it. You're a saint. I'm a saint. I am Saint Matt. You're a saint, whatever your name is. Why? Because of the work of Jesus. And then it ends with saints. That Jesus didn't come to make you and me better. Jesus came to make us brand new. We are different people, right? That before Jesus were depraved, we are all about us. We live in the kingdom of self. Entitlement, what's in it for me? I'm gonna get mine. I don't care if I step on you, nothing matters. But then that changes because Jesus makes us new. We become a different kind of people, robed in his righteousness, given his spirit, given an empathy that's bigger than ourselves. He gave and we give. We've been forgiven, so we forgive. It's brilliant and it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's what this is all about. And when you get it, you say, no one has it better than me. How can I not be generous? That's the goal of Philippians. You handle your money with care, why? Because I've been entrusted, I'm a steward of it. And God's been so good to me, how can I be good to other people? Because we're family. 